have a, a few different uh, visitors that I spoke with and, uh, before worship started, so I want to thank you for being here. Uh, you are our honored guest. If there's something that we do here uh, in worship that is different than what you're used to, let us know. We'd love to talk about it and let you explain to you uh, why what we do, we do what we do and why we do it from the Bible. And so before we get started here this morning, though, I want to uh, just uh, stop and, and, and offer a prayer because uh, we have a lot of uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. And uh, there's several uh, congregations in Kiev, Ukraine, and, uh, and so we need to pray for our brothers and sisters. And so let's go to God right now and as we pray for their safety and their well-being. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to call upon your great and holy name. And Father, we come to you with a heavy heart on behalf of fellow brothers and sisters uh, who are in harm's way uh, as this war between Russia and Ukraine uh, rages on. Father, there are many of uh, the congregations, Father, who, uh, who are in desperate need of help and, uh, and uh, just uh, in many different ways. And so, Father, we know that you know all things. We know that you know their needs, and we pray that you would bless them accordingly, Father. We pray that uh, for their safety and their well-being. Uh, we pray for no loss of life, Father God. And we also just pray for the citizenry of this country uh, who is being uh, attacked and, and uh, attacked, and they were uh, to no fault of their own. And we just pray, Father God, uh, that, uh, that you uh, give them the resources they need. Uh, we pray that there not be any additional uh, uh, loss of life. We pray, Father God, for cooler heads to prevail. We pray, Father God, that there could be a, a way to the end of this. And we just pray uh, for your providential care and your, inter and your intervention, Father, uh, in a way that only you can. And so, Father, we ask you for this this day. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. amen. Brethren, so if, as I said, we just said we have guests with us here today, and we thank you for being here. Uh, and as we think about uh, the, today's lesson, I want to give our guests kind of just a recap of, of, of where we're at and how we got to the lesson that's on the screen behind me. Uh, today's lesson is going to be on the Lord's Supper. But leading up to this, uh, coming out of the pandemic, I said, you know what, we're going to get back to the basics. We're going to get back to the basics, and we're going to look uh, at why we do what we do, because uh, over this last year and a half, we've baptized quite a few new people. We have lots of uh, new Christians, and maybe have never heard these sermons. So we looked at, a couple weeks ago, we looked at worship. Why do we worship? What's the importance behind worship? Who do we worship? Uh, is he worthy of worship? And we looked at uh, multiple aspects of uh, where worship came about. We looked at Old Testament, New Testament. We looked at worship. Last week, we talked about singing and why we sing a cappella, as in the chapel. That's what a cappella means. And so we looked at uh, singing, and we looked at uh, what the Bible commands. But we also looked at authority. Uh, we know that we talked about last week, and Dorothy asked me the question in our Bible study yesterday, uh, yesterday uh, or two days ago, and she was saying, well, why is it that we, that we don't use the music, musical instruments again? I said, well, when you go back to it, I said, we looked at how it was uh, tabernacle worship. Moses was commanded by God to use trumpets. We looked at uh, um, temple worship. David, by the command of God through the prophets, was commanded in order to use the, the instruments that he used. And then in the New Testament, we looked at Colossians 3.16, we looked at Ephesians 5.19, and we talked about and we had seen how God commanded us to sing. And, and, the, and so we sing. And so it's not a personal preference, it's a command, it's authority, and it's a matter of authority. Well, on the screen behind me, now we're going to look at the Lord's Supper. Because as we go through and we break down why we worship, how we worship, and with the authority in which we worship, we looked at that. Now uh, we've also looked at our offering, we looked at singing. Now the third aspect of worship, the Lord's Supper. What does it say on the table right in front of me? This do in remembrance of me. 
And so as we get into this morning's lesson, brethren, as we continue through this uh, series of various acts of worship, this morning we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is one of the major reasons that we as Christians assemble on the first day of the week. It's not, the, uh, it's not one of, it's actually the most important aspect of the reason that we meet here on Sunday, the Lord's Day. And we're going to jump into that and we're going to look at why that is true. We need to understand that the Lord's Supper brings to our remembrance the victory that Christ had on the cross of Calvary. And so it is so very important. What Steve said when he was given the, uh, the communion thoughts. We are a forgetful people. And if we only did it once in a while or a couple times a year, there would be a lot of people. There would be some people who would do it, but there would be a lot of people who would forget and so Jesus tells us that every time you gather in the church, there's a pattern of gathering, and that's going to be next week's lesson, why we gather every Sunday and not just once a quarter or a couple times a year. We gather each and every Lord's Day because each and every week has the first day of the week, and we gather on the Lord's Day, Sunday, because that was the day that the Lord resurrected. That is the biblical example that we have in Scripture, and we look to Scripture for all aspects of why we do and how we do what we do. And so when we think about Jesus, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper during the feast of the Jewish Passover. And when we think of the Jewish Passover, the Passover commemorated what? Israel deli Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Amen? And likewise, it was during that feast that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper commemorates what? It commemorates our deliverance from the bondage of sin and death. Sin and spiritual death. Open your Bibles, please, to uh, Matthew chapter 26. I'll have this on the screen behind me, but it might be a little bit smaller. And so, uh, Lord's Supper, Matthew chapter 26. Jim, my clicker's not working, so if you could work the slides for me. Uh, Matthew chapter 26. It might be a little bit small on the screen behind you, uh, behind me, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, we're going to look at verses 26 through 29. And this is just one of the passages that we could go to for Lord's Supper. But notice what it says here in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, take, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for, for many, for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so we look at Matthew chapter 26. We see how during the feast of the Jewish Passover that Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper and that during the institution of that, it commemorates the deliverance that we as Christians and all who call upon the name of the Lord have from the bondage of sin and spiritual death. And so moving forward, we look at this and we have to understand that the Lord's Supper was to be observed in the new kingdom under a new covenant. Jeremiah prophesied about that in Jeremiah 31, and we can look at other prophecies. But it was at Jesus' death that Christ abolished the old Jewish order. It was at the death of Christ that, he, that Jesus uh, uh, consecrated the new covenant. There was a new and living way. If you were to open your Bible and you were to read Hebrews chapters 8 through 10, you're going to see how the Bible speaks unto this. How Jesus' Jesus's death was the closing of the old law, because where there is a covenant, there must by necessity be a death. Who is Jesus? God. 
And if, G if Jesus, being God, instituted the, the covenant with the Jewish people, it, there, where there is a covenant, there must also likewise be a death. And we know that the covenant, New Testament, and will is, uh, is of Christ. And Jesus came to bring the new law. We've looked at this many times. John chapter 12 talks about how Jesus says in verses 42 through 50, I didn't come to uh, judge the world. I came to save the world. He says, but you have one that judges you. The words in which I speak is what will judge you in the last day. But I did not come and speak on my own initiative. He says, everything I hear uh, from the Father, I do exactly, and I speak exactly as he has commanded me. And so too many people make the mistake. They open up their Bibles and modern day uh, translations and they see the red letters and they, they, just, they just attribute to Jesus. Oh, these are just Jesus' words right here. And so in the homosexual community and other different areas, they'll say, well, Jesus never specifically spoke on these things. Well, actually, yes, he did. You see, because it's not just the red letters that are Christ. It's all the words of the New Testament. All the words of the Old Testament are God's word. Doesn't it say all scriptures inspired by God? God breathed in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. So it either is or it isn't. Jesus was either told by the Father exactly what he was to say and to do and to speak, and he did it as he says. He goes, I did all that the Father has commanded me. So I would ask you then a question here this morning. If Jesus had to do all that the Father has commanded him, how much less is expected of you? Amen? And so we do all things according to the will of God that we ascertain in Scripture. And so moving forward, like I said, the Lord's Supper was to be observed in a new kingdom, in a new covenant. And it was at his death that Jesus Christ abolished the old Jewish order. It was at that, that, that time that he abolished the old covenant, and there was a new and living way. Brethren, we need to make sure that, as it tells us in Scripture, that we draw near with a sincere heart, with full assurance of the faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. And then I think about what the Apostle Paul said to the people of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2. When you look on the screen behind me and you look at what Paul said in Ephesians 2 and 13 through 16, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by what? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What was the barrier of the dividing wall? What two groups is he talking about? He's talking about the Jews and then the rest of the world, Gentiles. The barrier of the dividing wall was the law. It was the ordinances. It was the commandments that the Jews followed. In verse 15 it says, By abolishing, notice that word, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the ill will, the strife, which is caused by the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he himself might take the two into one new man, make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Jesus was going to bring in a new kingdom for a new covenant people, and he was going to institute it on a new covenant, a new law. And that law was going to be for all mankind, for all who call upon the name of the Lord. And then in verse 16 it says, Why? And it might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross of Jesus by having put to death the enmity. Enmity means ill will. It means strife. And the Apostle Paul, he connects the Corinthians and likewise our Christian participation in the Lord's Supper as a communion with Christ. Notice what Paul wrote to the people of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. 
It says, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the what? The body of Christ. And then in the very next chapter of, of, of that same letter, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, he says this in verse 25. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is what? The new covenant. If there's a new covenant, then that must mean that the old covenant was passing away. That's what Hebrews 8 through 10 teaches us. And so this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and this, and do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What does the front of the table say again? This you do in remembrance to me. Brethren, what, it was, what is the language that Jesus is using here? What is the language of Hebrews 8 through 10? What is the language that we ascertain here in Scripture? There's a new kingdom, and there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new king, if you will. There's a new kingdom, there's a new king, and he had arrived in Corinth and throughout the rest of the Christian world with a new memorial for a new covenant people. And that is why the Lord's Supper is a commemoration. In Ephesians chapter 2 that we just looked at here a moment ago, it spoke of how God broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, which was the old covenant, and how he had made both groups, meaning Jew and Gentile, into one new covenant people. If you call upon the name of the Lord, if you have a biblical faith, how do you come by faith in the first place? What does Romans 10 and 17 say? Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God, not from the word of man. I have nothing that I can add to the word of God that is pertinent to your salvation. Either we follow the blueprint or we don't. I mentioned in Bibles to study this morning. And I said there's over a dozen passages, old and new passages, you can look to how God commands us to keep his word, to not add to, to not take away, to simply do what I require of you. If you've spent any time in Old Testament, and if you've been following me along on Wednesday nights, we're, right now we're in the divided kingdom of, of the monarchy. The Assyrians have already overtaken the northern kingdom. The Babylonians have already over. Uh, uh, overtaken the, the southern kingdom, what was the reason they were overtaken? Because they didn't keep the law of God. What was the, what was the problem during the time of Judges? That the people of God were, were, would for a time do the will of God, but eventually they would start to long for the things that their neighboring uh, villages and nations used to do, and then they would uh, then go into idolatry and various forms of immorality, and then after a period of time, God would punish them, and then, uh, then they would cry out for 20, 30, 40 years, and God would send a deliverer, and the circle just kept completing itself over and over and over. What was the problem? A lack of obedience. What is biblical faith? Trust, belief, obedience, all working in harmony together. You can't just have one or the other or two and not three. You have to have all of them working in harmony together. And so Jesus tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 25 that he took the cup also after supper saying this covenant is for the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so, brethren, we need to remember, in the Lord's Supper, Christ is fulfilling his promise to commune with his disciples in the new kingdom. The Lord's Supper commemorates a new deliverance. Jesus, brethren, is our Passover. Remember, what was the Jewish feast of the Passover? It was the deliverance of, of, of the Jews from Egyptian bondage. Jesus Christ is our Passover. 
Which simply means that by the means of the cross, he delivers us from spiritual death and bondage to sin. Do you understand that? That Jesus is our Passover. He delivers us from the bondage of sin and death. And now Jesus passes over our sins by accounting our faith in him for righteousness. That's what Romans teaches. How are we justified before the Lord? Meaning, how are we made right before God? That because we're washed in the blood of Christ, or you go down into the baptistry and your sins are washed away. There's nothing magical about this water. It's symbolic of the covenant relationship that Jesus instituted. In Acts chapter 2, Brothers, what must we do? Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. For the remission of your sins. Why did they do it? For the remission of their sins. But what's the point here? Brethren, when we think about the Lord's Supper, it should be a time of celebration for grateful Christians. What are we grateful for? The cross of Jesus Christ. So do you see why the Lord's Supper is absolutely the most important aspect of worship? We can pray and sing at home. But yet, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, not to forsake the assembling together. Did you know that if you look at Acts 20 and other places, and we're going to study this out next week, there was a pattern that the, that the New Testament disciples followed. They met every first day of the week, not just during the early church, but for a thousand years. It wasn't until we started to break off into various factions in Christianity that they started to go all willy-nilly and started to do whatever they wanted to do. And so we see that even in the Lord's Supper. There's many denominations who don't partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Those, they surely take up a collection every Sunday, but they don't do the Lord's Supper every Sunday. You know why? And I'm not trying to make light of it, because for expedience sake, it's just not convenient. As the congregations grew and grew and grew, it just wasn't convenient to have the Lord's Supper every week. And so we'll remember his sacrifice maybe every couple weeks. Some people do it once a month. Some people do it once a quarter. Some, some only do it a couple times a year. And then if you're like me in the Catholic Church growing up, you did it every day. You could go every day and, and, and partake of a service and take the Lord's Supper. What's the point? Next week we're going to look at the idea of is there a pattern of worship? When did worship take place? Does God's word give us uh, biblical examples of that? And does God's word actually give us instructions? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. I look at the, uh, the Lord's Supper, brethren. The Lord's Supper is not some mere ritual that doesn't have significant spiritual benefit for its, uh, for its participants. The Lord's Supper is related to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, plain and simple. The Lord's Supper is related to the fellowship and the unity of the local church. That's what we see in Acts chapter 2. In verse 42 through about 45, 47, they were uh, meeting regularly and continuously partaking of prayer and singing and of the Lord's Supper. And then I think about the Lord's Supper, how it is related to the holiness, not just of the body of Christ, but as a people who are set apart unto God, like Peter teaches us. Brothers and sisters, we eat of the Lord's Supper. And when we take, partake of the Lord's Supper, it expresses the fellowship that we have. It expresses that intimate relationship that we have with Christ Jesus because of his atoning work on the cross. We get, to, we get to remember the cross of Christ. And we get to remember the significant cost that there is to sin. Jesus, the Son of God, being uh, the perfect uh, sin offering, had to give his life, not because of his sins, but because of the sins of the world. 
And so when we remember the Lord's Supper, you should remember all that Jesus suffered because of you and me. You see, brethren, there's a reason why we take it each and every week. Not just to remember the cross, but to remember the cost of, of, of what sin is. And so it also expresses fellowship that we have with each other as the members of the one body. Notice what it says now. We looked at Hebrew or, uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and 16 earlier. But look at uh, 1 Corinthians now 10, 16, and 17. <clears throat> Is not the cup of blessings which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? We looked at that. Is not the bread that we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Notice 17. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Brothers and sisters, in verse 17, we find Paul referring to corporate worship. When the group of believers were gathered together, we see the term body, and we see the term all. The loaf that Paul refers to surely is the loaf that is broken when? During the celebration of the Lord's Supper. The cup that he speaks of is surely about the participation of the fruit of the vine that we partake of in the Lord's Supper. Notice of the word in verse 17, he uses the word all. Brethren, the Lord's Supper is a commemoration. Amen? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. That's a commemoration. Essentially, what is Jesus telling us? Jesus is telling us that you need to remember how I lived you need to remember my life. You need to remember how I lived. You need to remember my works. You need to remember my words. You need to remember the sacrifice that I made for all mankind. Does it make sense why we partake of the Lord's Supper every week? Does it make sense why the Lord's Supper is the, literally the most important aspect of the Christian worship? Brothers and, brothers and sisters, the Lord's Supper is also a proclamation. It is a proclamation because it is the preachings of, of, of Christ's death. And victory over death. And that there's the forgiveness of all sins come in the name of Jesus Christ through the blood of Christ. We also think of the, uh, the Lord's Supper as a time of self-examination that Steve mentioned this morning. But what does it really mean when we think that the Lord's Supper is a time of self-examination? Notice where this comes from. It comes from he, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It comes from verse 27 and 28. And it tells us, Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread. He is to drink of the cup. When we break this down, I want you to focus in on verse 27 where it says the word manner, unworthy manner. When we focus on that word, brethren, it's because Paul isn't talking about the worthiness to eat the Lord's Supper. Because there's not a person in this auditorium that is worthy to eat of the Lord's Supper, that's worthy to sit at the table of Christ without the blood of Christ justifying us and making us right before God's eyes. Paul is talking about the attitudes. He's talking about the motives in which we partake of the Lord's Supper. Paul is telling us to do a thorough self-examination of our hearts as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. You know what I fear? I fear that in the Lord's church, and that in many churches around the country, this has just become some mundane, simple thing that we do as an obligation. The Lord tells us, uh, uh, as you gather together on the first day, do this as re in remembrance of me. As often as you gather, do this in remembrance of me. I, I, I fear that it's become something that is just mundane. It's just something that we just go through the motions. And we don't put any heart, we don't put any thought into it. 
How many times before you take of the Lord's Supper, the body and the blood of Christ, do you consider the cross of Calvary? Do you consider the cost of sin? You see, brethren, that is the most important aspect of the, of the, of the worship service. And so when we think about this self-examination, brethren, we don't earn any points by God by just showing up and going through the right rituals at the right time. We have to have the right attitude. We have to have the right motives. And when we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper, our attitude should show a spirit of, of uh, should show a spirit or an attitude of brokenness. Is there anybody here who hasn't sinned this past week? I know I've sinned several times this past week. Anybody else sinned this past week? So you should have a spirit and a mindset of brokenness. That how your dependence on the blood and the grace and the mercy of God. And if we are honest with ourselves, we should recognize our sinfulness. We should recognize how desperately we need the grace of God. And thus we come before the, the Lord. We come before the Lord and we partake of the Lord's Supper to remember how costly our sins are. And we must confess our sins and we must repent regularly. There's too many people who don't have a really firm grasp of what repentance is. There's so many people that they say, well, what must we do, brethren? Acts chapter 2, the first words out of Peter's mouth were repent. Repentance is, a, is not a one-time thing. You're continuously will be repenting for the rest of your life. As sin enters into the picture, you have to repent, which simply means you turn away from the sin in your lives. And you live for Christ. And you make restitution. Brethren, we need to understand that partaking of the Lord's Supper, we remember the cost of our sins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We also think about self-examination. There is not only that idea, but we have an idea of reconciliation. We should come before God and worship and partake of the Lord's Supper with a mindset that shows that, that we have the attitude that we're going to bend over backwards and try to heal any hurt that we have inflicted intentionally or unintentionally on another brother or sister in Christ. That is part of what this is talking about. And so there has to be a reconciliation. There also needs to be the attitude of rededication. When you partake of the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters, we celebrate, celebrate that intimate bond that we have with Christ Jesus. By eating the bread and drinking the cup, we renew our dedication unto the Lord because we remember what he sacrificed. We remember all that he has gone through. And so we do it each and every Lord's Day as we re reconcile ourselves, as we, uh, as we consider uh, the sin in our lives, as we rededicate ourselves. And then lastly, there should be an attitude of joy. You see, brethren... While we focus on the cross, we focus on the cost of sin, we also focus on the fact that Jesus, without hesitation, took upon the cross of Calvary. He was scourged to within an inch of his life, and he had a, a crown of thorns that was pushed onto his head, and then he, was, uh, then he was crucified. And then he would suffer, and he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And when we contemplate the future, the glorious future that awaits each and every Christian, there should be a joy in our hearts. There should, yes, be a brokenness because we realize we're sinners in need of a Savior, but there should also be a joy because Jesus Christ went to the cross and he didn't hesitate. Sure, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying to the Father, Lord, if, there, if, there, if there's a chance, if there's a way, if this cup can be taken away from me, then allow it to be taken away. But what did he say? Not my will. I was tapping my microphone and it kind of like messed me up, right? Not my will, but your will be done. 
Can you imagine how strong the church of Christ would be, how strong Christianity would be, if we asked more often, Lord, I know that I'm laying these petitions before you, but not my will, your will be done. Can you imagine if we had that mindset more often, regularly? Not my will, but your will? How often when we pray is it simply for our will? Never considering the will of God. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to close this down. And I pray, brethren, that as, as we look at this information here this morning on the Lord's Supper, I pray that we never treat this profound yet simple weekly activity as just some superficial uh, ritual that we go through. And we just go through the motions and we, never, and we partake of the Lord's Supper with little to no thought of the cross of Christ. That we partake of it with no thought of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And that we sit here as sinners, yes, walking in the, blood, walking in the light, meaning that the, the blood of Christ continuously cleanses us. But how does the blood of Christ continuously cleanse us? It began on the cross of Calvary. And so we sit here only in a right relationship with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so thus we do this in remembrance of that sacrifice. Brethren, never forget that the Lord's Supper is the most important aspect of worship. I know I said that three or four times, but I want you to make sure you realize that. When we assemble on the first day of the week, we do well to remember the cross of Christ. It's encouraging, brethren, to remember the love of God, to remember the love of Christ, to remember the example that he set. And when we consider the body and the blood of Christ, it should remind us of how costly our sins are. I know I keep saying that. I know I keep repeating that. But I think oftentimes that we are sinners and that we forget how costly our sins are. And we often like to be a little bit judgy. If you heard on my Wednesday Bible study, I called us a little bit judgy because how many times do Christians like to say, hey, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm better than Gina. <laughs> Gina, I'm sure you're a wonderful Christian. <laughs> but how often do we do that? We like, to, like, we like to thumb our nose at other people and look over and look past our sins. And yet we all sit here as sinners. There's not a person in this auditorium that didn't sin last week. Brethren, we consider the body of Christ. We consider the cost of the cross. We consider the sacrifice. We do all things in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. And nevertheless... We have that joy because without hesitation, Jesus went to the cross. Brethren, next week we're going to continue this series. And as we continue this series, we're going to look at the idea of do we need to gather every Lord's Day? Do we need to do these various things, praying, singing, hearing a message from the Word of God, picking up an offering, and participating in the Lord's Supper? Is that something we've got to do every week? Or is it just when we feel like it? Is there an example of pattern activity in the early church? Do we have scriptures that talk about how they gathered together on the first day of the week and that they gathered together regularly? And then we can look at the apostolic fathers and those, the men who sat at the feet of the apostles and we can look into a thousand years from the beginning of the church and see how they met regularly on the first day of the week and that they continue to? We're going to look at that next week as well as we continue this series. If you're here this morning, though, maybe you're not a child of God. Maybe your desire is to become a child of God. You can come forward this morning. You can express your desire to be baptized. You go down into that watery grave of baptism. Your sins are washed away. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And not I or the elders, but God himself adds you to the kingdom. That new kingdom. That new covenant people. God will add you. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're struggling in your faith. 
and you need the prayers of the congregation, we can do that for you too. You see, because we're a family here at Lincoln Park, and as a family, are we not called to bear each other's burdens? Galatians, right? Chapter 6, verse 2. And so we come together, and if you're struggling here this morning and you need the prayers of the church, please let us know what we can do for you. Come forward as we stand and sing. Song of Invitation.